to the Broken Jars Broadcasting Network, home of the Dresden Files podcast, 42 Entertainment, and many others. More podcasts like this one can be found at brokenjars.xyz. Grace Scott! I declare bankruptcy! Bears beats Battlestar Galactica. Depression! Isn't that just a fancy word for feeling... Not only the years we've been at war, but from the moment, as a child, when we realized that the world could be conquered. Welcome to Great Scott, The Office Podcast. I'm Jay Ray, and with me is my deskmate, Jacob. Hey, how's it going, everybody? It's good to be back. I always feel so long. Do what? Uh, It always feels so long. I mean, we do wait two weeks, but it always feels like we, we wait a month or something. <laughs> very true, it's very true. Uh, we are a member of the Broken Jars Broadcasting Network, so visit brokenjars.xyz for all of our other shows. And a big what up to Tiny Build, one of our very famous sponsors. Yep. Um, yeah, man, what have you been up to in the past two weeks? Uh, just life, man. Getting through it. <laughs> yeah. How, how's the weather out over by you? Uh, it was really nice today. It's been warm the last couple of days, but today I think high was like 74, so it was pretty nice. Yeah, that's not bad. I've had a hoodie in my truck for like two weeks just waiting. I'm just like hoping for like some hoodie weather, but I just look at it in disdain as I'm covered in sweat and humidity. And it's terrible. <laughs> I am ready for, ho- for hoodie weather. I know. I know. It's, it's around the corner. It like wants to happen. I feel it. Yeah. It, it, every week you look at the... Like the the highs just started like trending down a little bit. I'm like, okay, soon, soon. There's a day this week where it was like 60 walking to my car in the morning and driving home that night, it was like 95. And I was like, well, this is insanity. <laughs> but with all the crazy temperatures, sitting inside in the air conditioning watching The Office has been a great thing to do. Yes, and that's what we're here to discuss. We've got a good slate of episodes uh, today. We have Dwight's speech, Take Your Daughter to Work Day, Michael's Birthday, and Drug Testing. Uh, next episode, uh, we will be covering the last two episodes of Season 2 and the first two of Season 3. So, unlike the first season where we ended up stopping uh, at the season break, that won't happen. So, we'll actually get some good discussion you know season two to season three discussion mm-hmm. so just want to get into it here yeah let's do it up so first up we got dwight speech episode 17 of the season uh written by paul lieberstein directed by charles mcdougall is this, um, is this charles mcdougall's first it looks like his first uh first episode yeah, he I don't ends up doing conflict name. resolution, which is fantastic. Yeah, that's an episode I'm excited for. It actually looks like it's the only one he... These are the only two he's ever done. Uh, it looks like he might have done Christmas Party. Uh, um, Christmas Party, shareholder meeting. Oh, there they are. Yeah, I just missed them. Never mind. Uh, so I he, can't read. So he doesn't come back for a while after this uh, after conflict resolution, though. Mm-hmm. Does a lot of later stuff. So uh, we are Dwight's speech. Uh, it's all centers around Dwight giving this his speech for being the best salesman in comp in the company. Uh, that's pretty much everything that is going on in this episode. 
Yeah. Um, you know, I like it a lot because of that, like simplicity. It just kind of focuses on this one thing, and um, it's it shows. So, I mean, so a running trend that I think I'm always going to end up bringing up is, like, seeing characters outside of their comfort zone. So this is an instance where we get to see Dwight kind of uh, really nervous for the first half of it, you know? Right. Even when he finds his flow, it's not like – not Dwight, I think, as he'd prefer to be, you know, doing stuff. Like, I don't think he wants to be the speech guy. He's a action speak louder than words kind of guy, I think. Right. It's just interesting to me because you know, Dwight is the best salesman Dunder Mifflin and ends up being the best salesman pretty much throughout the entire run of the show. But you can tell he has a hard time around people a right. lot of times. So it's an interesting dynamic. So I wonder how, like, how is he so good with people that he can sell to them, but he's so bad around them in general yeah i mean if we recall or maybe not recall maybe we haven't learned it yet but um they always said that earlier in their careers dwight and jim went on sales calls together right so maybe that helped dwight kind of get accustomed to one-on-one interactions in a way that maybe he wasn't before and um i think it's more interpersonal he feels more comfortable I think it's it was the the room full of strangers and such and possibly people who have accomplished what he has accomplished that made him nervous, you know? Cuz he's def cuz he definitely feels superior in the office. Yes. You know, but I think think the world as whole, maybe he doesn't luckily he doesn't think so highly of himself that he's like the best person on the planet, let alone in Scranton or whatever. He is not Michael Scott. <laughs> mhm. So this opens up with a cold open where Dwight and Jit, not Dwight and Michael are throwing a football around, and uh. they're discussing like if we ask corporate for this, they might say yes or no. I don't think we ever find out what they're debating, uh-huh. but then Michael just starts like throwing the football around, and Jim intercepts it and gets tossed around, and Michael or Dwight tackles Ryan. Uh, who like throws the ball to Creed or something, and then I don't know, but Creed and Stanley both get pushed hardcore. Mm. I watched Stanley get pushed like a ton because Ray Wilson is not pulling punches. <laughs> he like is holding Stanley and pushes them for like four or five feet, and there's no way that Leslie Baker like did not collide with something hardcore. Like I was hoping because of his age that they put down a mattress or something for him to <laughs> land on because he gets shoved. <laughs> But then, yeah, so it, the the ball ends up back in Michael's hands, and he's like, looks really like downtrodden about the whole thing. And he's just like, Pam, he goes to spin to throw it to Pam. Huh. So, so, but my question is, is this the same football that gets thrown around in the episode where Toby announces he's going to Costa Rica? Probably. And. Uh, Michael seems to hang on to stuff, you know. Pam, uh, Pam, then Jacks Meredith in the face with it. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, I think it probably is. That just seems to be what Michael does. Like hangs on to stuff for a long time, and the writers, I think, are aware that we know, you know, they're like, oh yeah, that's probably the thing. <laughs> yeah. So one thing I've kind of noticed about the office a little bit is that. Dunder Mifflin is kind of like uh, Springfield. 
from the Simpsons. It just kind of keeps growing as they need it to grow. <laughs> right. Like, we we need this company to be bigger than it has been. Right, right. That's true. Um, yeah, because well, we talked about it before. I think it was on air. But, like, how confusing it is that, like, do they need a headquarters in New York City? And is it – does it make sense for them to have a headquarters considering how few branches we're aware of? Mm-hmm. Um yeah, and like you said, they just seem to grow it exponentially, just depending on what they need. Right. I mean, in in lecture circuit, you get the idea that there's a lot of branches. Right. You know, so it's really hard to like here. It you really can't tell how big it is, and you never really get good good sense. But but then you know later, David Walsh buys back the entire company for. X millions of dollars, $10 million or whatnot. Right. Which is nothing. Like, that might, you probably couldn't even buy just the Scranton branch for $10 million. Yeah, that's true. Does he buy it out of pocket? Like, so he is the owner of Dunder Mifflin um, when that happens? Or not Dunder Mifflin, but Sabre or whatever? uh, He buys back Dunder Mifflin, but, I mean, he might have gotten a loan for it. There's no telling how much he actually spent on it. But, like, he didn't go in with partners, right? Like, he is the one. We assume so, yes. Yeah. At least I assume so. There, there's, no, um, there's no mention of it, but he probably could have. Right. Um, but, so, there, there's a scene where Michael's talking about how he, um, you know, went, went, to the pl- went to the thing twice. He's showing off his plaque and his certificate, which he keeps in his safe. Right. And looking around in that area, some really interesting things pop up. So in the safe is a full silver service. I don't know whose it is, but it looks old. So <laughs> that's in a safe at work. He's got his multi-year service plaques up in there. And on the inside of the door, you actually see the newsletter, company-wide newsletter, saying that Jan got promoted to VP. Something mm. I never caught before. Right. But it's in there. It's a nice little touch. Interesting. Yeah, I did definitely did never looked in there. I assume there was probably jokes, but good on you for taking the notes about it. <laughs> so, but yeah, uh, this, this episode, you get a really good feel for Michael. This is a really good Michael Dwight episode for obvious reasons. Um, but, I mean, th- this is, we're nearing like the, peak michael de- deplorability if that's a mm-hmm. word like we're getting close to like peak michael for this for, like how terrible he can really be especially to dwight yeah and again i don't know how well, i don't know why he does it it actually comes up in a later episode jim's like why does he do the things that he does uh-huh. so but yeah it's uh, and we learned that dwight misspelled failure to lose a uh <laughs> Spelling bee. That's kind of on the nose, right? (laughs) Right. And this starts off a whole... This episode starts off a lot of chain reactions with Jim booking his trip to Australia. Yep. Which we don't know if he took or not. Um, He paid for it. I mean, he paid for it, so I'd assume he'd take it unless he's like, you know what, I'll just let the flight go so I don't have to pay for everything else. Right. So... 
And then we also had the fun little bit with the uh, the thermostat fight. How everyone's constantly, like, everyone's always changing the thermostat level. Yeah, I, I like that. That amounts to nothing. You know, like it's just random shots throughout Dwight and Michael's speeches of people fighting over the thermostat, and um, nothing comes of it. It's just a never-ending battle that will always exist in that office. And Oscar likes his thermostat cooler because it helps him work better at sixty-six. And Kevin obviously likes it at 69 because Kevin's a perv. I uh, I bring this up at great risk, Jacob. Mm-hmm. But I was told that um, there was a study about sexism in the workplace because generally speaking, and boy, I hope I am citing this correctly because I don't want to be wrong on for <laughs> either side of this, but that women generally are colder. So when women started working professionally more and more, uh, that was never taken into account for like office temperatures because men like it colder. So, um, so there was just like a general study about like offices still are colder, causing women to be cold and having to bring extra clothing or whatever. And it was just kind of like this example that they're not welcome in the workplace. That's just 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 to just to bring that up. I don't know. You never heard of that woman before? Never heard of that. I mean. Just from my times in offices, that seems how it is. Uh-huh. I knew a girl uh, when I was working at a place in Oklahoma. In the middle of the summer, she had a space heater running under her desk in Oklahoma. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, no, personally, I'm, I'm like a, a 72. So give me a good 72. I think that's a decent working place. Maybe it's a little chilly for some, but I like 72. Yeah, 72 is a good temperature to work in. I mean, I don't really mind... My my office gets crazy. It'll be really hot and really cold. It's stupid. So, all right, all right. It's, it's also it also depends on building size. True. Yeah, you because know, where you work at an event and stuff like that. Right. Because like, I, mean, I don't know. I, I know they got to have some type of zoning, like where I work. But there's like 2,200 people in my office building. Right, right. So that's got to be hard to maintain, you know, temperature. And that's one reason why they tend to keep it cooler. It's easier to maintain a cool temperature than letting it get warm. Right, right. That's true. Yeah, because I always figure you could always just put more stuff on. But you can only ever be so naked in a professional environment. That's very true. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, obviously uh, in this episode, Michael's trying to teach Dwight how to speak in public. Which mm. Michael has only done twice, <laughs> right? You know, according to what he said, and Michael wants him to be funny. And it just doesn't really work for Dwight. So they have this whole like t- uh, Toastmasters thing, which is a pretty good scene. And you know, first off, you know, Michael's like, just go out there and say something they're interested in. So he but pops out of his office, a conference room. He's like, I got had great news. Get get the wallpaper or. You know, you're getting a bonus, thousand yeah. dollar bonus, and you know. So Stanley tells his wife, we assume, or mistress, I don't know, <laughs> to get the wallpaper. Um, and then you know, Dwight comes out. He's like, "There's been a wreck on this street," and it's like, "Do we know anyone in the wreck?" Uh, Brad Pitt. <laughs> and Kelly's like, "Oh, this is this is so this is karma for him cheating on Jennifer Aniston." I know, it's like, I mean, it just shows how dumb both of them are, right? Because, like, Michael, 
why like why doesn't he understand that what he's saying is going to get people excited for very specific reasons right and then why doesn't dwight understand that making up terrible accidents is also going to get people riled up like michael totally obviously misinterprets and that's the point um why people are excited by his speech right right but michael's trying to pass that off as his him being a good speech giver as opposed to just somebody who's delivering extremely good news to a bunch of people who feel like they don't get compensated enough anyways Mm -hmm. right so we get into Toastmasters bit and we find out that Toby was like you should go to Amsterdam to Amsterdam and he's like how long how long were we there for it's like a week or a month I'm not really sure so we learned after his like after his divorce Toby got really blitzed for quite a while in Amsterdam. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's also doubly funny because later on we learned that he was like in training to be like a priest or something. He was in seminary, you know? right? So he kind of falls into depravity when he's put up against the wall like that. That is that is one of my all-time favorite single scenes in the offices in um, the baptism episode, which is like looking up at the, the front of the church. He's like, why do you keep picking oh, on yeah. me? <laughs> It's it just feels so point. bad for Toby. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> uh, Creed says he sh- you should go to Hong Kong. And I actually looked it up. And what it is, is he's listing three people's names and saying hello when he speaks in Chinese. Yeah, that's what I figured. Because Ni Hao is like, hello. Because mm-hmm. um, my office is like full of... It's a Chinese-run company, so I hear it all the time. It's like, those sound like names, which is like a really weird thing that I thought... I never thought when I started my career that I was able to decipher what Creed Branton was saying in the Dwight speech <laughs> episode of The Office. But, yeah, that makes sense. So, yeah. Ooh, Creed. Like, I just want to show about Creed. You know, do you ever watch um, Always Sunny? No. Because Danny DeVito's character has a run, like maybe sometime late second season, where he's like running a gambling ring full of like nefarious Asian folk. But I could see Creed hanging out in some type of underground Philadelphia gambling ring with people talking Chinese or Vietnamese or any (laughs) other language, because I feel like Creed would know it. (laughs) Oh, yeah, good times. So then we have. Dwight, he opens up with a good morning Vietnam, right? And Mike, Michael just poos all over. He's like, no, this is terrible, whatever. And then they use that exact opening later in the... Um, like the actual... At uh, the conference, yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> I don't know. Like, I don't know. I don't know what it is in Michael's head. He's just like, yep, yeah, I'm gonna like not do this or whatever. It's just like in his mind, it's all like, I don't know. I don't, it's, we've talked about the, you know, suspension of reality in his own head, but like he just goes to a whole other level at times. And I feel like mm-hmm. he did in this one. It definitely does in this one. Yeah, no, it's true. I mean, he's definitely surprised. Like when he gets to the venue, how large it is and all the production and stuff. So it makes me wonder when he went, if it wasn't like a, like a lunch area of a restaurant that he gave this speech to, as opposed to like a huge convention hall. And um, I don't know, like 
obviously he shapes his memories weird because like again later on we'll get to um take your daughter to work day but he definitely like reframes his memories to be more in his favor than they really are right so i think when he's um and i don't know why but he just lets that misinterpretation of reality give him false confidence so when he gets up in front of these like thousands of people um he goes at it with full michael gusto And then we have one of the great, great gym pranks on Dwight. It's like, Dwight, you know I used to major in public speaking, right? Mm-hmm. Which, if that's really a... Well, Grant, he does say later he didn't major in public speaking. But if there's a university that gives out majors in public speaking, that would be terrible. Yeah, I mean, Dwight's definitely not a person who went to college. So <laughs> it's an easy lie to give him for sure. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, so he, you know, uh, he downloads all like these speeches and stuff from the world's great dictators. He's like, "You're all about power, Dwight. You're not a joke teller." And it's like, "Yes, yes, you're right." So he like has all these like bullet points and stuff for how to how to basically give a a fascist speech to to these right. people, and then they love it. <clears throat> um, so. Do you, are there any like favorite lines that you've got in Dwight's speech? There's so many that are good. Um, I mean, the whole thing is definitely great as a whole. And like super... I mean, I'm surprised that the other salespeople in the room are able to take anything useful out of the speech because like when you really scrutinize over it, it's kind of just nonsense, inspirational with a huge dip in dictatorship. But... Um, yeah, it's, but they love it's it. really all nonsense. They do, though. But even there's the, there's the classic, uh, you know, blood alone moves the wheels of history, which is an odd thing to say to a bunch of paper salesmen. <laughs> all right. Well, I think, too, I mean, I don't know if you have to deal with salesmen at all in your line of work, but because my company, we have sales representatives, and there gets to a point where we have to kind of bend over backwards for them because they're like the money makers. Right. So I feel like the importance that Dwight's speech carries might be interpreted by them as something that's like, yeah, we do move the wheels of history. Uh, you know, we are like the ones who matter, you know? Right. Um, and I don't think Dwight was thinking that way. I think it just coincidentally falls in line with a salesperson's kind of boastful self-worth you know mm-hmm. and so you know you have the whole there's another like from the moment where you realize the world could be conquered and mm-hmm. find yourself and there's just so many good lines it's it i would assume that it's more mussolini than hitler just by how the speech kind of goes but i don't know it's hard to say right um well, so if we rewind a bit, though, during the thermostat war, Angela uses her feeling not so great as an excuse to go record Dwight's speech, mm-hmm. um, which I think is probably thus far one of the bolder moves that one of them has made for the other person that could be seen publicly. I mean, obviously, her fellow accountants don't pick up on it at all. They just think it's weird that she's going home sick. But in usual 
Angela fashion, she's just kind of snarky and snaps at them and walks out the door anyways. Right. And then there's a quick run-in with Michael as he is leaving the speech hall out of, you know, whatever emotions he's feeling. And she's hiding under that sweet hat. Because who wouldn't notice a four-foot-tall blonde lady? And um, a bucket hat. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, I thought that was interesting. It made me wonder, like, was she recording it for him? Because based on how nervous he was and stuff, and especially considering his original thoughts on what this was going to be, because in the beginning of the episode, he kind of thinks it's going to be a smaller thing also. Right. And then Mike, Michael's the one who says, no, it's the most important speech you'll ever give in your life. So I almost wonder if it's her recording it for herself so like she can go home and watch it later, like when she's bored, you know? She's like, oh, you know, I've cleaned and I've cleaned all the litter boxes and now I've got some free time, so let me watch Dwight's speech for being salesman of the year. Well, I mean, come on. We all know what she was really watching it for. That's inappropriate, Jacob. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, you know, Michael gets up there terrible just terrible delivers his the difference between a salesman and a saleswoman boobs what's interesting yeah because so he tells that joke earlier in the episode right dwight's answer to that joke isn't far off right um and then dwight also starts his bit of uh, his toast with good morning vietnam right and everybody groans so it makes you wonder why michael does it (laughs) like why does he think it's appropriate to do it like a couple hours later um, yeah. I mean, so what do you think about Michael's bit? What do you think about, like, him going up there? Uh, I thought it was weird that he went up, well, Michael being Michael, I'm not surprised he went up there. He wants mm-hmm. the limelight. He wants everyone to think he's awesome. So it doesn't surprise me he went up there. Um, I'm a little surprised they let him go up there, to be honest. Right. Um, right. but, uh, but, you know, it's, it's very vintage Michael trying to be funny and it not working. Just right. what it is. Um, and then, you know, he Dwight finally gets up there all painting and starts starts thing. And then soon, you know, Michael just gets up and leaves. Right. For whatever reason, you know, because I'm guessing because Dwight is better at this than Michael was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, I guess I understand why they let him up, but I didn't understand why they let him go so long. You feel like once he starts whipping out the Michael Winslow impressions, which weren't terrible, <laughs> his car starting up sounds pretty good. But, uh, like, why do they just let him? And that guy's just awkwardly standing three feet behind Michael, just letting him go on. <laughs> and no one's being like, we got to cut this guy off. It's been 10 minutes. He's just up there going, roar, 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 roar. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, we don't get a real good sense of uh, of how long he's actually up there, but does feel like he's up there for a while. Yeah, because he's moved on from whatever point he thought he was making to just wasting time at that point. So it makes me wonder, like, he was up there for a bit. Of course, he could have been sweaty because of the lights and because he was nervous or whatever. But um, what do you think about him leaving? I mean, that's, that's, like I said, I mean, it's close to peak douche Michael. Mm-hmm. Like, he can't, can't be happy for his friend. It's all about him. Um, and then, uh, it's just, it's a terrible thing. 
And I guess, like, it's so, like, I don't know if, why, but all the stuff, maybe because I'm more critical about it during this podcast, but, like, so much of this stuff just hits me harder than the other times I've watched it. Like, wow, that's just a really terrible thing he did here. No, it's true. I agree. I think it's probably one of the douchier things Michael does because Dwight really needed Michael, even though he really didn't, you know. But, like, as his mentor, mm-hmm. Dwight was kind of looking for Michael's guidance. And when Michael leaves, <clears throat> like, it's out of this, like, weird selfish shame. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's kind of how I felt about it. Is yeah. just he, he felt bad because Dwight was out doing him, and mm-hmm. he obvious. It's pretty obvious throughout the show that, at least for a long time, Michael thinks he's better than Dwight. Yep. And so I guess when the stark reality of the fact that he isn't, and Dwight's probably a better salesman than he is too, hits him in the face. It's just mm. not pretty. Do you really think Dwight might be a better salesman than Michael? Uh, I mean, probably, because you get the sense that he has pretty much every every year from here going forward, he's the best salesman in the company every year, mm. where Michael was only doing it for, did it for two years in a row. Right. Interesting. Uh, what comes to mind with that question is um, Michael Scott Paper company episode where he is trying to steal Dwight's client after Dwight betrays him. Right. Um, and it seems like Michael handles that situation way better than Dwight. Well, he obviously does. Um, which would indicate to me that maybe Michael is inherently the better salesman, you know? I think it's probably more like situational sales where Michael Michael's really good about building that relationship thing. And um, where Dwight feels more like a volume kind of guy, like he just can, he can just you know pop him in and out. Just he just That's run true. through people, you know. He doesn't. He sells. He obviously sells sells very differently than Michael does. Yeah. Like, do you think Dwight would have been able to get the Tim Meadows Chili's deal? Um. Probably not. Yeah. But that's what you're talking about. Michael can do this relationship building. Right. In a way that Dwight doesn't have patience for it. Right. Like, like Michael feel like, I think the, the Chili's deal is probably like the best example of when you want Michael. Right. He's not, he's not, I mean, he's going to be fine as a, you know, day in, day out kind of salesman. But the big stuff, the really big stuff is when you want him. Yeah. Okay. Well, Michael leaves, passes right. Angela. Angela continues to record, and Michael chills by the bar where Dwight will find him when his speech is over. And then uh, to put the cherry on top of Michael's douchiness, he tells this story about the lady with no ID. Right. And then in his talking head elaborates that he feels as if his joke to Dwight extrapolates to the large mass of people that were in that room. Right. And uh, and that's what like seals his douchebaggy fate in this episode because like he's not happy for Dwight that Dwight did this thing. He's making sure that everybody knows that he is still the one. Right. Yeah. You know, I entertained a guy who entertained a thousand guys. A thousand guys. Mm-hmm. So that's when 
that's kind of what I was talking about. Like his suspension of reality and belief here is just incredible. Yeah, like, I don't understand it, and it, you see it again in this next in the next episode that's coming up. Just how just off he is, I guess. Right. Um, I do have a list here. Actually, you you mentioned it, and it looks like you're right. Um, the white speech pulls a lot from Mussolini. Uh, but there is some Lenin and the Communist Manifesto by Karl Marx. Uh, workers, salesmen, and women of the world unite, apparently, is from that. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh-huh. I, was, I was trying to remember because I've definitely read the Communist Manifesto before. So, Yeah, I pegged you for one of those guys, Jacob. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man. Got to read. Okay. <laughs> Um, what else? I mean, you got anything else here? I'm just trying to see. Uh, I mean, there's some smaller stuff going on in the episode where, like, Ryan is a super big douche to Kelly. Yep. Uh, and so I was just kind of wondering when I saw that, I was like, is this just Ryan trying to push her away? Like, really just trying to, like, he's not going to dump her because he's a pussy, but he's, he wants her to leave, but she's never going to. Right. Yeah, I think you're right. That is, I, I wouldn't say he's being a douche, but he is trying to make her be the one to break it off as opposed to him doing it. Yeah, with his comments. But it's pretty great when he's like, I know what I said. <laughs> you know? Yes, it was uh, very obvious that he was trying to score some kind of hit there. Uh huh. Which, that's a douchey thing to do. Uh, I found this other tidbit, sorry, to go back to Jim's vacation. According to Paul Lieberstein, Jim never did go on his Australian vacation. Huh. Also, I, I looked it up, and so Pam was supposed to get married on June 10th, yep. and for 2006, that was actually Saturday. So there you go. Hmm. So, and Jim was supposed to leave on a Thursday. All right. <laughs> the Good random shit, know. you know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, Paul Lieberstein's quote is, he didn't go. The whole Pam thing took him by surprise. He transferred and then wasn't really up for vacation, unless, of course, we find a good joke in his vacation. <laughs> okay, so this interview is from 2006, it looks like. So I guess at that moment, they were just like, all right, he didn't go. But he might have gone. But he might have gone if they had come up with a proper joke for it. <laughs> <clears throat> All right, let's get to that. That's a nice little glimpse into to how writers work. Yeah, they're like, well, what's the point? We don't want to explain it, so let's just <laughs> pretend it never happened. <laughs> so, what are you gonna what are you gonna rate this episode? I gave this episode three point eight out of five wheels of history. Nice. Uh, this this is a this is a, a top top tenner for me. Mm. I love this episode. Uh, I, there's so many great lines. Uh, so this is a five out of five. Sa- wow. I know. Sales, woman's boobs. That's huge. All of the boobs and your rating. <laughs> <laughs> so going into the next episode, it is Take Your Daughter to Work Day, written by Mindy Kaling and directed by Victor Nelly Jr., who also did The Carpet, at least classic um the opening for the cold open for this episode is like i think it's one of my favorites 
Um, it starts with Michael trying to sell everybody in the office the uh, calling cards. Uh, no. Oh, no, no, no. I think, you're, I think you're off an episode. I'm off on my notes. I lied. So this is not my favorite one. This is about Aquaman. <laughs> I jumped ahead in my notes. Yeah, Michael is trying to explain to the children of the office what a manager is, mm-hmm. which also shows how disconnected he is from like what children are <laughs> and what they know. And he calls himself Batman or right. Superman. Superman, and this is like Gotham, Gotham City. And then Jim and Dwight correct him. And he's like, where does Aquaman live? And they're like, the ocean. And he says... A bunch of nerds. Yeah. Uh, Not a great cold open. No, it's pretty I mean, much attached to that episode. Yeah, so. it was, I wouldn't really even call it a cold open. I think it's just the start of the episode. Yeah. But you do... It's, it's kind of funny uh, that... Pam, before Michael gets into the whole, you know, I'm whatever, she's like giving him the business to try and make him say something and be nice to the kids. And, you know, it's like, you can't be nasty today because the kids are coming in. Mm-hmm. Where so. we find out that um, Michael feels the office is like HBO. Right. No limits. Um, so we meet a bunch of kids. Right. We, uh, we meet Sasha, who is Toby's daughter. Right. And Melissa, who is Stanley's daughter. Uh, Abby, who is um, Stacy's daughter, who is the fiance of Kevin. And we meet Jake. Yes. <clears throat> this is the only, if I remember right, he's the only one you see again. Because you see him three, four times throughout the series. I feel like we meet Melissa again later. Oh, you know what? She's in a deleted scene in Cocktails. So Cocktails is when um, it's the yeah, third season. Yeah, Pam and Roy are back together, but they're all at the bar together. Right. And um, if I recall the scene, Melissa... Why would she be in a bar, though? But she's definitely there. And um, talking to Ryan, and then Stanley get sees it again, and it's kind of like a bit of a repeat of what happens in this episode with the uh, the mighty fatherly talking down to. That is one of the great scenes in the entire show. Who are you looking for, boy? Jesus Christ, walk through that door. He won't help you. Yeah, that's <laughs> have tough. you lost your mind? Because I will help you find it. <laughs> <laughs> that is. Well, hey, you don't very rarely see Stanley ever that, I don't know, awake? It's true. <laughs> Fired yeah. up, however you want to put it. And so it's re- it's a really good contrast and just really hilarious to watch him just chew out Ryan, who really did nothing wrong. Yep, yep. But it was also, you know, Kelly getting pissy and, like, telling Stanley that something was going on when there obviously wasn't. Yeah, I mean, the development between Ryan and Kelly is really fun in this season. Because, again, Kelly wasn't like she was in season one, you know? Right. So to start seeing, like, Valley Girl College Kelly, um, like, this is the season that it happens. And then to see Ryan kind of break out of his office space, (laughs) phased out kind of thing to, like, kind of be more involved in people's lives... So it's a good season for their characters to start develop. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then those are some funny bits for sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. How, 
I always go off your notes. Your your notes are a little bit more uh, <laughs> well, linear. Than, it's also uh, uh, you get sort of a repeat. From sexual harassment, you know, Michael talks about a picture of what what's Stanley Zyre's name? Uh, Melissa. Melissa uh, uh, right, turns yeah. him on, and he's like kind of hitting on her again. At the beginning, right. he's like, oh, I got to keep those frat boys away from her. Da, 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 da. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's like, oh, that's awkward. That's really bad, Mike. She's eight. She's she's 13. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that's um, a sign of Michael's like. It's kind of like he doesn't want to give the love as much as he wants to receive the love in his thought of the office being like a family and stuff. Because he doesn't really take the time to remember his co-workers' histories, at least early on. Like, later on, he becomes a lot more involved, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think this is an instance where, like, okay, he knows Stanley's got a daughter. She could be 30 for all he knows, so let's talk about it. <laughs> and even though he's corrected probably, like, a bunch off episode, he continues to assume that she's older than she really is. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, this is a fun tidbit. So in this episode, Pam is wearing a heart-shaped necklace, mm. which we learn later, according to Pam in the episodes with Donna, yep. that women never buy heart-shaped necklaces for themselves. So we must assume that it was from Roy, and she yep. hates wearing heart-shaped jewelry, and she's only wearing it to make Roy happy. Yeah, that's probably true. <laughs> I mean, it's probably a bit of a retcon. I'm sure that's just what they made her wear for the wardrobe. I'm sure, but... Yeah, but um, I'm sure there was a lady in that room who was like, you know what, we have to talk about this. We need guys to stop buying us heart-shaped shit. Because <laughs> we hate it. Yeah. I, I do wonder how often writers are like, you know what, I'm just going to take a stand here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, w- one of the things to go on a bit of a tangent here that sometimes disappoints me about later seasons of the office is when they pull too much from pop culture. Um, so Jim and Pam's wedding specifically is like the one that really hit me the hardest was when they're walking down the aisle and they basically replicate that whole YouTube video uh, with the song going on. And then there's that one cold open later on where it's like another YouTube video that was really popular and they're trying to replicate it by doing this one shot in the office. Um, And it's just like we've only got 22 minutes in an episode and you're going to give three minutes to this specific parody of a thing made by like nobodies. Like where's your craft, guys? You know? Uh, So that that I think that always... uh, that always bothers me later on. Just to go on a bit of a tangent. Those sons of bitches. <laughs> uh, we also learned just, just how terrible of a person kid Jake is. Just a little shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just the only way to say it. And you can tell that maybe Meredith... Well, it's pretty much proven out that Meredith is not a good mother at all. Yes. So... Um, I don't know. I, I, Jake is Jake is a weird person, and so he's but he starts talking to Dwight, right? 
He's like, Dwight, you know, do you have any, do you have any games on this computer? He's like, well, that, those are a waste of time. But later on, Dwight has Second Life and StarCraft on his work computer. Right. Oh, does he have StarCraft on his computer? Yeah, uh, it gets referenced in the Halloween episode in Season 8 with um, Robert California's kid. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh. Yeah, Second Life... Yeah, there's some inconsistencies. I mean, at this point, we've already known he's played Laser Tag. Uh, he might not treat that as a game, though. Maybe. Well, right, <laughs> but not the Office. You that's know, that, true. that was that was the thing. Is like it was the Office computer. Right, right. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, that's the thing. Cause I feel like he already played Second Life at home then, but it's because he's going through this rut with um, Angela and such is why he's playing Second Life in the Office. Because you know. Because really, how much work can you ever get done at work? You know? It's true. It's true. You really only work for so many hours out of that eight, nine-hour day. Um, that kid's the worst, though, Jake. What? That kid, Jake, is the worst. Though. Yes, yes, yes. I mean, so he calls him Mr. Poop, which is a huge leap. I mean, how do, how do you think Dwight says poop, Jake? Come on. You're just being a dick to be a dick, man. Um, that's, that's pretty much it, yes. Yeah. Uh, so, but, you know, we, we had we do have to backtrack a little bit, because, like, Stanley's girl is just hitting and drooling all over Ryan for, like, half the episode. Right. She's, like, talking about jitters, like, hey, what's your cell phone? I'll, I'll text you. And he's, like, no. And then she's, <laughs> like, well, what about an email? And he's, like, no. Yeah. I don't want to go to prison today. <laughs> Even though he later does, but, you know. Different reasons. Different reasons. Not not for diddling a little girl. Oh, diddles. <laughs> That's tough. Uh, when, so then, you know, he's like, Dwight's entertain, entertaining the kids with his recorder, and we learn that, one, he's really good with it. Mm-hmm. And then, two, he starts talking about, like, fairy tales. Right. And, like, they're super dark. That's something I think a lot of people forget. Just how dark most fairy tales are. Yeah, they're almost like Grimm brothers status, right? Right. Like yeah. you know Do you know why the boys never got old in the original Peter Pan fairy tale? Uh is it because Peter would kill them when they got too old? Yes, he right? would just kill them when they got too old. Like <clears throat> jacked up shit, man. <laughs> like finally like Disney's like whitewash some of it, but yeah, yeah. Nope, it's true. But that yeah. also makes sense, too, right? With Dwight's upbringing, like... Oh, yeah. Living on the farm and having, you know... He makes that joke, too, about eating the smallest of the brood. <laughs> that was... One of the great jokes. It's like, oh, no. I'm just joking. It never came to that. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. So it was always a possibility, though. <laughs> like, all the adults knew it was a contingency plan in case they needed it. <laughs> and then Michael seems to be like, get really into it um so you know he's like taking him around the office we find out creed only has four toes on his left foot and mm-hmm. four-toed creed four-toed creed i like uh, the running joke that creed doesn't know what his job description is too because he's like creed does something and creed's like that's right and then in that episode later when um holly first shows up into the office and she's like, and what do you do here? And he's like, I'll be right back. Yeah. He's got that like really tense 
him against the fridge. He's like, Quabity. Quabity Ashuance. <laughs> it's like he never knows what he does around here. Nope. He just makes sure he keeps his job because he doesn't want to be a homeless man. That's Again, probably. <laughs> well, that's what he says. The only difference between me and a homeless man is this job. And I will fight fight for it like when I was a homeless man. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> It, it's, it kind of comes up later in Casino Night, which we'll cover next episode. He go when he wins the mini fridge. Mm-hmm. He tells Bob Vance, "Like I've never owned one before." Yep, it's great. Uh, so and then you have the whole little bit with Angela talking about how you know sort of doing the over the shoulder talk to Dwight about how she never misbehaved in front of her in front of her dad and she hopes her mate will have, you know, be a strong father. And that really just gets him into, uh, like destroying Jake later. You know, he right. would, he wouldn't have done it unless, unless if Angela hadn't said something, you just wouldn't have done it. I mean, also too, which like, isn't even Dwight putting Jake in his place as like an adult. He just plays Jake's game. By, by insulting a child till the kid cries. Like, he doesn't show proper authority. He just shows that he's just as mean as a child. <laughs> and true. Then, but Angela's impressed with that, too, still. Hey, man. As long as the woman likes it, it doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's just a risky proposition. Just like, hey, if, if ladies like it, then I'll do it. Uh, but then we, uh, he's like, you know what? And this is a, a, another sign of Michael, like, not remembering things right or whatever. Right. He starts talking about Fundle Bundle and how he was the star, even though he was definitely on there for one episode. One episode, yeah, for like five minutes, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so he sends Ryan to Dixon City to get a, the tape, a guitar, and a tambourine, which I don't know if we ever actually see, or was he playing at the end? Um, yeah, I don't know who's playing it because Michael's holding the piece of paper to read the lyrics, and Dwight's playing guitar. I mean, unless Michael's tapping against his thigh, right? She could be. Hey, you know, Michael's talking about how, like, you know, I, I don't see why people complain about having kids. They're adults, for God's sake. Just let them live their lives. Yeah, that's definitely got to be my favorite line of the episode. <laughs> So we, we meet Edward R. Meow during Fundle Bundle. And, you know, we get we get the bit about I want to have 100 kids so I can have 100 friends and no one could say no to being my friend. And even the puppet has this. I don't know how they did it, but it has this look of just pure shock and horror. Just going, uh. What's great is that, like, it's definitely a hand puppet, right? Right. So the dude just goes because like he's so shocked personally that he has to also make sure that the puppet is following his own emotions. So he's I picture him sitting there and generally the way those stages are right is that they're like four feet above the ground. Right. So so there's a dude underground with his hand above his head and he's just like looking at all the rafters and any other puppet people down there and he's just like, dude, what the hell's wrong with this kid? It's so good, yeah. Like, and you feel kind of bad because you know Michael's dressed up in this little suit, which right. is referenced a lot because he apparently has always worn suits. Yeah, because there's a whole part where 
Phyllis talks about how they all thought Michael was gay. Um, I think it's in Gay Witch Hunt. She talks about it because he always used to wear suits and stuff to high school. Right. So you you get the, I don't know, at least I get the sense that Michael's mom just kind of did a number on him. Like, I feel like some of this is her fault. Yeah, they never explain, like, we never meet Michael's mom. Right. We do hear her voice once when he's kind of forced to admit that he was engaged, even though he wasn't engaged and has to immediately rescind it. Right. So we hear her on speakerphone, and she sounds normal. But, yeah, I wonder, like, if she was, like, kind of like this wackadoo hippie mom or something that, like, ruined his childhood, you know? Mm-hmm. Because, um, yeah, because why is Michael so weird? <laughs> we need, like, a Michael colon origins, like, miniseries or something. <laughs> I need to know. I watch the shit out of it. Yeah, I would, too. And this, I think this is another really good example of Michael remembering things better than they were because you know he's watched that tape a thousand times right? and he doesn't remember just how terrible it is it's one of the few times like early on that I actually feel kind of bad for Michael I'm just like oh poor guy yeah I mean like you said it's kind of like this weird group of episodes we've got here because he was a douche last time here, we just kind of understand this natural ineptitude around children, totally fine, and you feel bad because obviously he had a weird childhood. Next episode, he's going to be a douchebag again. Um, yeah, so this season is just like really giving us different pictures of what we're supposed to be feeling about Michael Scott. And I guess that's probably why we we like these characters so much because I think every, just about every character in the show, even Jim and Pam, have their mm-hmm. Oh wow, you're a douchebag moment. Right. You know, right. so you you no one's perfect and I think that's one reason why the characters are so relatable in this show. Right. Yeah, it's true. Um so what else you got for this one? Um Well Michael decides he's gonna join um online dating. Yeah. Which is 06. I first started doing online dating in 07. So, uh, yeah, it was probably pretty pretty slim pickings for him. But he's like, yeah, my uh, my my username, Little Kid Lover. I'm like, oh. <laughs> and, then, and then Michael got arrested by the FBI. Uh-huh. <laughs> then, whoa, we learned that Jim is going on a date. But we don't know with who. And we don't know if anything ever comes of it. It... I believe it is supposed to be well there's no inf- there's no facts but we do know he did ask that lady out on a date Brenda Oh that's true maybe it was uh so it could be that coming to fruition Yeah it could be that um Although she's from corporate though right So I think she lives in or around the city You would assume so So and they're like what 40 an hour away from the city two hours really i I mean scranton's balls far yeah it's like two hours yeah so so if that's the case then she must really be interested in him or he's jim uh jim's that desperate that he's like leaving work and hauling ass over to the (laughs) east coast proper yeah (laughs) 
Yeah, or maybe they met in Philly or something, got a hotel. You never know. Mm -hmm. I don't know my geography very well, so I don't know where Philly is compared. Um, uh, this is sort of an overall thing for the episode. Is It's really interesting to me that Michael gets along really well with Toby's kid. Yep. Like, they play together, they do everything else. Um, I just find it, I find that interesting and in how, and then he has that nice little, that's sort of a nice moment with Toby, where he's like, yeah. you know, they're talking about having kids and all this other stuff, and he tries to become the godfather again, or for the first time, which he does multiple times. Yep. Yeah, it's true. Like, you, I guess because you, you're postulating that maybe um, there's carryover, right? That Michael hates Toby, so maybe he hates his entire family. <laughs> right. I mean, yeah. so you would, you would think so. But, you know, he's really nice to him at um, at some point. Yeah, no, he's nice for bits. Um, mostly when Toby's being nice. Like, um, man, someone gets hurt. Who gets hurt? And Michael's crying. And then Holly's there and Toby's there. And it's Toby's last day. Oh, that's the episode that Ryan gets arrested. Right. And Toby, oh no, and Toby's not nice, never mind. <laughs> he's, he's like, I'll just let it do what it does. <laughs> never mind. Uh, and then, you know, there's a couple things. I think we're starting to see the writers starting to set up other reasons why uh, Pam might not be okay with getting married to Roy. Because, mm. like, Roy, like, loves Jake. And you can see sort of, like, this horror on her face about, like, oh my god. I don't want a child like that. <laughs> Even though Jake's the only one that like say, Pam yeah. gets to like her, like him or well, whatever. But still, like you see this like horrified look on her face, like oh my god. <laughs> Do you want to hear something fun about Jake? Sure. Jake is Spencer Daniels, Greg Daniels' son. Oh. Look at that. And Jake grows up to be a stripper. Just so. Which face so tattoo? With a big old face tattoo. You know your life has gone in very questionable directions when you end up with a face tattoo. Yeah. Um, all right. So what would you think of this episode then? Uh, I liked it. It's I liked it more than I thought I would. Mm -hmm. I remember like thinking this was sort of a slow episode. Right. But all in all, I really enjoyed it. Um, you get to see that you start to understand that Michael is really alone. He's just super, super, super alone, you right. know? Uh, so, I don't know. It, it's, it's a good one, though. Um, so, I actually forgot to write down a, a rating, so I'll have to give something up. Um, oh, so I'll give it a 2.8 three out hmm. of five um smoking hot uh children's actress person wow not only is your rating close but the label of your rating is very close to mine too um i gave it a 2.5 out of five miss trudy wardrobe malfunctions miss trudy i couldn't remember her name off the top of my head but yeah yeah, yeah there you go miss trudy yeah. 
Yeah. Under that, she's pretty hot. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, I, overall, the episode is fine. But yeah, the, the sad Michael stuff is tough. So my rating isn't because it's bad. It's just because it's just not fun to watch. You know, it's uncomfortable and you feel bad for Michael and everybody feels awkward about it. And that's the only reason why I gave it such a low rating. But it's good character development for him, I think. Yeah, all the way around, I think. So we will go into Michael's birthday. Season two, episode 19, uh, written by Greg Stupinski. Gene Stupinski. Gene Stupinski and Lee Eisenberg and directed by Ken Whittingham. Yeah, yeah. And this is the cold open you were talking about, which is a fantastic cold open with the calling cars. That's right. So Phil, who drives a vet, has recruited Michael. Uh (laughs) And and it looked like he was trying to get them to invest about $4,000 if I read the the board behind them correctly. Mm Mm-hmm. (laughs) <laughs> it, it was only like thirty-seven fifty equals one point two five million or something. <laughs> it was something like that. Yeah, I mean, I just love. I obviously the way Michael responds to Jim saying this is a pyramid scheme is that Jim has said this earlier in the same meeting, right? And finally, Jim stands up because Michael draws that perfect illustration to show him exactly how it's shaped like a pyramid. You know, one person to two people to four people to, you know, eight or whatever. Um, And then Michael's, like, realization is, like, why is Jim drawing? Why is that a pyramid? Oh, pyramid scheme. Oh, I'm in one. I should call people. (laughs) Yeah, it's very good. But then he's, like, but uh, Toby's, like, didn't you lose a lot of money? From uh, that one, <laughs> from the emails, like when when the deposed son of the king of Nigeria, <laughs> or whatever yeah. he says it. Which I mean, I, Michael really is like the perfect person that people target for those types of scams. And that gets brought up later in the roast episode in was that season five? Yeah, in mm-hmm. season five with Crime Aid. No, yeah, no, the roast. It was the roast. It wasn't Crime Aid. But yeah, so yeah, that's a good one. So it mm-hmm. comes up that he's he's lost lots and lots of money to yeah. email phishing schemes. Um, so what we're going to get there, but fun fact is that I know that Steve, everybody knew that Steve Crow's a really good ice skater. So they purposefully wrote that scene later in the ice rink to showcase Steve Carell's ice skating abilities. Hmm. Yeah. So that's really Steve Carell doing all those moves and checking Toby into the wall and all that fancy stuff. So I guess that just translates to Michael also, right? Right. Because then Michael Scarring is also a great ice skater. Correct. Um, and then sort of the B plot, I don't know if it's the B plot or the A plot or just the tangent, I don't know, but it's Kevin might have skin cancer. Mm-hmm. Right. So half the episode is him um Waiting to find out if he's going to have cancer or not. Um, so, yeah, I guess it would be the B plot because it has Jim and Pam kind of go off on their own adventure, inspired by that plot. Yeah. So right. Uh, so you know, he, we find out that Michael has a brand new Italian suit from Bulgaria, mm-hmm. which was pretty good. All in all, I thought it was actually a pretty sharp suit with a nice, you know, pinstripes. Pinstripes, yep. So, yep. 
I like I like a good pinstripe. Um, Who doesn't? Then you see, so it's Michael's birthday, and Michael loves his birthday. So you see all these really weird things he does to get people to tell him happy birthday. So yeah. he calls Jan, and Jan calls him back. And he's like, she's like, what's going on? And he's like, well, I just want to call you, wish you happy birthday. She's like, it's not my birthday. He's like, oh, I thought we had the same birthday. Yeah, it's really clever. And then you know, he's like, are we on camera? He's like, no, you can tell me whatever is in your heart. Click. Yeah, click. And then you have the whole bit with the donuts where he's just literally standing there with his hand on the coffee pot waiting for someone to walk in so he can look like he's busy to tell them that someone brought in donuts for his birthday. Right. Like, I don't know. It's like, do, do, you not, uh, do you not get enough? Like, I, I guess it's just more that – he he just doesn't get enough praise from the outside, so he's trying to fa- manufacture it. Yeah, no, that sounds right. I mean, again, this is weird. Like, he he has this misinterpretation of what the office staff is to him. So, like, they are his friends. So he feels like his friends would remember his birthday, and um, and that delusional Michael reality filter allows him to not realize how much he's trying to tell them that it's his birthday and that they should be wishing him one. Mm-hmm. Um, and he disregards the fact that none of it is organic or genuine or anything like that. It's a bummer. No one likes Michael. <laughs> right. And then we, you know, we find out that Kelly has a sister who died, who's was her second, <laughs> second worst <laughs> saddest funeral ever behind princess yep. die. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's like startling because Diwali hasn't happened yet, and she has like three other sisters also. Right. Which which means there is a deceased fourth sister. <laughs> yeah, that's tough. <laughs> so that that was a good moment. Um, and then we find out just how terrible Michael's birthdays have been throughout his life. Mm-hmm. He's like, you know, my seventh birthday, you know, my 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 mom got a, a pony and it gave me a rash. And I didn't get to ride the pony, and everyone else did. <laughs> yeah, I mean, his face when he's telling these stories and how, like, personally he offended he is about all of them and how, like, he hasn't let it go at all is pretty great. Um, because doesn't he – something about his butt, right? What happens to his butt? They had the rash, so his mom was That's putting right, cream right. on it. And I mean, then, you know, on his 16th birthday, he was supposed to go out with this girl named Julie – but she went out with another Michael in the class and got, got him a cake at the restaurant. <laughs> just... So what do you think the deal is with that? Do you think that's true? Do you think she was really supposed to go out with him? Or do you think it's one of those situations where other Michael and her were having a conversation and Michael didn't understand that he wasn't the focal point, but he like didn't see other Michael? And the date went on as was supposed to. And Michael was like third wheeling himself, or that she really bailed on him last minute. And uh, I mean, it's hard to say. I mean, I don't if it if it was supposed to be a date between those two, you would think that she wouldn't have gotten a cake unless she was getting him a cake just to fuck with Michael. Sure, that's a good point too. I mean, what if it was other Michael's birthday also? That's I true. guess that's a, that's a that could be like a stretch to have the same name and the same birthday. 
But I could also see Michael omitting that information because it's his story, damn it, you know? (laughs) So uh, Michael just gets pissed off. So he's angry. No one cares about his birthday, um, et cetera, et cetera. So his mom sends him a poster of uh, what, James Dean? James Dean uh, by like one of the bridges, Brooklyn or GWB. But he says Luke Perry. Right. Yep. <laughs> Luke Perry's friends don't treat him this way. <laughs> Which, um, you would think he would know who James Dean was. You, you would think, you know, he would he would have seen those movies and stuff. Yeah, but he definitely seems to take his experience more from like the late 80s and 90s as opposed to something that might be more time appropriate. Yeah, that's true. Um, so Luke Perry, I guess, would be more relevant in his... Because I wonder like, if 90210 was on TV like during his high school time or his um, college years or something, you know? Like whatever would let him resonate more with those people instead of. Ninety two and O was what like ninety two. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, but I'd say about mid twenties for him. Yeah, I mean it's pretty impressionable, and if he was as lonely as we're supposed to believe, it's possible that he just spent his time watching nine hundred two and O. I mean, I guess maybe he was working too, right? He was already a sales rep. Right. Yeah. Man, how. Michael would never would have left the house as it was streaming Netflix when he was growing up. That's true. <laughs> uh, then we have the great exchange between Dwight and Angela about the meeting. Wait, yes, this is the you know you put the don't expect any cookie. But what right. if I want a cookie? And you can see Ryan in the background. And then in the talking head, he's just like, his mind is blowing up. Like, oh my God. Oh my God. Are they really having sex with each other? Is this really happening? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. I, I feel like and my, uh, Ryan does that thing too, where he kind of like blacks things out that he doesn't really want to know. Because <laughs> I think that's the one where he gives like the the weird shifty eye to the... Um, the talking head camera, like he doesn't say anything because I think he's just like mentally erasing it in his brain. He's like, this is not information I need. Nope, 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 nope. Push it away. Push it away. Yeah. <laughs> um, what else? Well, so Jim and Pam go on a trip. Right. This is happening. To the uh, right aid. And they're trying to make Kevin feel better about his potential skin cancer. Right. By buying him several gifts that'll make him happy, including 69 cups of noodles. I don't, I mean, what's a cup of noodle? Like a buck? Probably the last 50 cents, maybe. I mean, that's not so bad, but still, they dropped a good amount of money. Yeah, that's true. That's and, true. And we also learned that Creed never returns anything, so they rebought him American Pie 2, which is his favorite movie. Yep. And Eminem's is his favorite candy. Yeah. I mean, and I guess they don't talk about it in that scene, but they also get Michael a card, like a group card, I believe, right? No, that was for Kevin with the uh, like the girl, the girl in the bikini on it. Yes, you're right. They, they got Michael the, the night swept, which we'll get to. Night swept, yeah, you're right. Uh, then we have the great, you know, Pam on the PA, like Luke, it's your father. Come set the table for dinner. 
Yeah. Um, totally not the line from Star Wars. Darth Vader says nothing about setting the table for dinner. I don't even get it. JK all day. <laughs> this is a little off subject, but have you seen, um, was it Darth Vader and me or something like that? It's all about like, it's, it's a cartoon, uh, like book where Darth Vader oh, is like, and Luke's, like young Luke and Leia. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Those are, those are pretty good. Yeah, they are pretty good. <clears throat> oh man. To backtrack uh, a little bit. Yep. We also learned that Michael's favorite sandwich is to is bologna, tomato, and ketchup. Terrible sandwich. It sounds awful. I mean, yeah. you're getting a little redundant with tomatoes and ketchup there, but I mean, ugh. yeah, I just don't. I don't understand what's happening in that sandwich. Nothing's complementing anything. I mean, it's like the worst deli meat ever. Because um, bologna is like the hot dog of deli meat. Um, yeah, just terrible. But fresh baked bread, which I also highly doubt. <laughs> highly doubt. <laughs> but Dwight ends up eating almost all those sandwiches, though. Yeah, it's like someone ate three, three, three feet of that? Hell yeah. Yeah. Uh, and Michael, like, tries to send Kevin home to, like, maybe get the focus back on him and his birthday party. Right. So he's like, and he's like, oh, you're driving. It's like, I would just go crazy with worry. He's like, well, you're driving us crazy with worry. <laughs> I know. Thinly veiled attempt at trying to save in his own face. <laughs> uh, but, yeah. So I'm trying to think if there's anything else I need to hit. Now, so we go to the skating rink. Yep. And... We find out some things that uh, Oscar can I can figure skate. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Michael's really good on skates. I did oh. find it interesting. He was wearing full pads, like he's wearing full hockey the pads. Full hockey pads. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think part of that was just the joke too of like them walking into the skating rink and he's trying to sell it as if it's to make Kevin feel better, right. even though there's a big happy birthday Michael banner there, and that he still can't retain himself from showing everybody how good he is, that he still needs to, like, gear up proper. He's like, they won't take me seriously unless I'm wearing my hockey pads. You know, he's holding the stick. He's got the gloves. Yeah. That's what I see. <laughs> and your Michael skates up to Jim and Pam, and it's like, uh, you know, this the stuff Kevin has got me thinking. Next time you shower, you should uh, should check yourself. You know, yeah, those he things does are, that with his glove. Yeah, yeah, he's like, those things are ticking time bags. Uh, and, and you hear Jim ever so slightly background is like, well, he's got a point. Yep. <laughs> uh, that's great. And we uh, we have the re reemergence of Carol, the yep. realtor, and we can kind of assume this is when they start dating because. We do, well, no, no, Casino no, Night. First right. date's Casino Night, yeah. Right, 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 right. Sorry, I was getting my stuff mixed up. But oh. it's why she's in his mind, I think, because he had just seen her, you know? Right. And I think it's why Carol would even accept the invite to Casino Night because I've heard from women that there is some type of weird biological thing that happens when a woman sees a person they have strong feelings for be with children. There's some type of weird, like, motherly thing happening. 
Um, so I think how good he is with her kids when he takes them out to skate, like, sets, like, a good vibe in her brain. So Casino Night, when he's like, hey, you want to come to this thing, I think it's what would allow her to say yes as opposed to being like, I don't know who you are, dude. Right. You're just this guy that took five hours to sign your condo forms. <laughs> um, so we we do see the, the night swept, which is a perfect smell like to something which references all the way back to Hot Girl. Yep. Um, but yeah, I mean, we learn, like, we learn that Michael doesn't know what negative means, but in the end, like, not a lot really happens at the ice rink. Like, Michael gets his jersey from Dwight, which has from Dwight on the back, so you obviously he will never wear it. Yep. Uh, but other than that, you know, not a lot really happens at the ice rink. Yeah, I mean, so Kevin doesn't find out he doesn't have cancer. And that's about it. I mean, Michael probably still enjoys himself at the end. We do get that nice little wrap-up at the end, too, where everybody's getting their gifts. Mm-hmm. And Michael finally feels like the office didn't forget about him because of Night Swept, you know? So, um, you know, Jim and Pam kind of saved the day for everybody there. Right. And the, at the very end, a nice little talking head when Pam's like, yeah, today was a good day. And you, yeah. know, she's, you can tell she's happy and likes being around Jim. Uh, so, yeah, that's uh, kind of a, just kind of their episode. Not really great for development. You just kind of get a get to watch The Office. You know, it's, it's not right. like really pushing the plot forward. It's not. It's just inter- people interacting, right? Um, so I gave this episode mm-hmm. a two out of five donuts that Toby can't eat. <laughs> uh, all right, I'm. I gave this a two point five out of five. Ticking time bags. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd rather think about pam's time bags as opposed to those donuts so you you did a better job with your label there yeah i mean i so i think especially this week's podcast episode it's becoming apparent to me that generally speaking i don't if i'm just randomly choosing episodes throughout the entire series i tend not to pick the episodes where michael is being an awkward son of a bitch you know You, you pick the random fun episodes that aren't like closely tied and because of that this episode is chock full of awkward Michael douchebagginess and it's not one I rewatch a lot. Again, great episode still, but you know, like that's why I can't speak so highly of it because it's just weird. Okay. Well, wrapping up, we will be with redoing episode 20, season 2, Drug Testing, written by Jennifer Salato. Uh, Jen Salato. Salato. And gr- directed by Greg Daniels. Uh, uh, there's no, there's no cold open in this one. Um, you pretty much jumps right into the fact that Dwight found weed in the parking lot. Yeah. Which I'm surprised. No, well, knowing where that thing, that place is supposed to be in Scranton, roughly. Right. I'm not surprised it doesn't happen like every day, but. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty great. Like all the shots of Dwight CSI. Uh, he has like the yarn or whatever, like the angle of perceived disposal of joint. Um, his suit of deputiness. Yeah, it's pretty good. Uh, and we learn that 
for the most part, he likes working with his coworkers, with four exceptions. Yeah. But I, I would like to know what those four exceptions are. One of them's got to be Jim, right? I mean, one yeah. of them's just got to be Jim. Um, one of them's got to be Pam. Mm-hmm. This is what he says later in the series about how she made a horrible first impression on him. And while she's a, a, a delightful person, he hates her. Yeah. Um, yeah, I wonder if there's some, like, uh, team Michaelness going on, and maybe he doesn't like Toby either. I could, I could see that. I, I feel like he does eventually say, no, that's everybody else who says they like Toby. Yeah, so I think there might be some of that going on. But then, on. you know, in the finale, he fires Toby. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point, too. So he might not think Toby is is good is good at his job, which he isn't. So yeah, and I think probably Creed. I think only Michael see doesn't notice what the hell Creed does or does not do in that office, and I think Dwight pretty much sits. He's like the cl- one of the closest people. It's like Phyllis and Dwight are pretty much right next to Creed, so see, I could see him not liking Creed either. I would think it'd be Meredith, because mm. she's a, she's an alcoholic and doesn't. Doesn't raise her kid well. Well, that, that's a good point about the kid, but he doesn't really seem to care about um, Meredith's alcoholism in Moroccan Christmas, though. That's true. That's true. Um, yep, yeah, so we do find that out. Um, we also are introduced to Jim's ability to do impressions of people. Yes, and how much Pam loves them. So, uh, trivia for you, in the director's commentary when I was watching this episode, they say that uh, John would actually do impressions, like, in between scenes or whatever. And um, so that they were like, okay, well, let's just put this in, you know. So let's have him do an impression of Stanley or whatever. Uh, Later on in um, the interview or the job, whatever the season three closer episode is or the Mm -hmm. one before it. The job, yeah. Um, Kevin goes up to Jim while he's at the copier trying to ask who he thinks is hotter, Karen or Pam. And Jim does this thing where he's like, "Mm -hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, what else? And apparently that's like, that's his impression of Greg Daniels. (laughs) Yeah, because Greg Daniels would like do that kind of thing when people were shooting ideas or whatever. So Jim, uh, John rather would copy that. So this is our, our behind the veil look at John's ability to do impressions of his coworkers. Nice. Then you have so Michael, because Michael might or might not have gotten high at a Alicia Keys concert the night before. Yep. And so he's just ragging on Dwight about the whole drug thing. You know, it's like, oh, gotta go smoke some doobies with my brothers. Smoking doobies and just like calls him narc and all these terrible things. It's just like, then he realizes there's going to be drug testing. He's like, oh shit, I yeah. have to like get out of this somehow. Yeah, it, it sticks out to me too. He's like, I never get to talk to girls with lip rings. And I'm like, I have a lip ring. Would Michael be very interested to talk to me? No. Probably not because he couldn't bang me, right? That's right. what it is. And he doesn't want to bang me. He's, aside from some. His fancy suits and stuff like that. I guess he's pretty heterosexual, aside from kissing Oscar, also. <laughs> Which we'll get <laughs> and to his next. love and his love affair for Ryan. He's he's kind of gay, I guess. <laughs> uh, you know, so so we have 
this this sort of scenes where Dwight is interviewing people trying to figure out what's going on. Mm-hmm. He's like he brings in Oscar. He's like, Yeah, Oscar visited his grandmother in Mexico when he was five. So this might mean he's a drug mule. So he is a bad you know, kinda of goes through he's like, Have you ever pooped a balloon? Yeah. That just his pacing is so awesome. Like the pause, hoping that Oscar maybe will fill in the blanks. He's like, have you ever pooped a balloon? <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, he's like, Freezer fellas like, so how, uh, do you know what this is? Like, Marijuana. How do you know? It's labeled. <laughs> he's like, yep. he's like, like so frustrated with himself. Like, ah. Then Creed, it's like, Tells them exactly what it is, you know, indigus, you know, Northern Lights, cannabis indigus, or something like that. Mm-hmm. And he's like, "No, it's marijuana," proving that like <laughs> White really doesn't know what he's doing at all. Yeah. Right. So I mean, uh, and for all we know, that could have been Creed's joint then. Oh, he, is that actually, what assume? It's, it's not a bad assumption to assume yeah. that was Creed's joint. Because it also could be a random person, but I figured because it was so deep in the parking lot that maybe it was one of them. Well, but they all got drug tested and then none of them got fired, so maybe. Oh, that's true. All right, good point. I mean, unless Creed also has a pee guy. Oh, you know he does. <laughs> yep. So yeah, there's there's there's, there's a good chance that's Creed's joint. Yeah, I hadn't really thought about that before, but yeah, that's probably Creed's joint. <laughs> and then you had the one with Jim where Jim's just messing with him. He's like, how do you know? Marijuana is a memory loss drug. Yep. I know. It's fun how easily Dwight can be swayed even when he has some type of authority power. That just goes to show how terrible a manager Dwight would actually make if Jim could get under his skin in like four sentences. Right. And I think that's something like you see is the progression of Dwight throughout the series is how much better he gets at that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then we have, so Jim is doing his impression. Another uh, impression of Stanley talking about CC and him on emails that have nothing to do with him. And then Pam Jinxum with the, I don't think uh, that is funny. Yep. This is one of, this is a fantastic bit. And so I guess that's sort of the B storyline of this whole sh- of the episode is Jim being jinxed and Pam trying to make fun of him for it. Yep, definitely. Um, yeah, and so they end up having this meeting in the conference room, right? Mm-hmm. To discuss because now now Michael's afraid and he's trying to seem like he is not a drug user and obviously he's not but the one time has rustled his jimmies enough right so during this meeting they have a list of drugs and drug paraphernalia where other jokes happen but this jim not talking bit comes to a head here where pam offers him as an example of someone who has had drug related issues in his family or friends or whatever and um Jim is forced to give a speech while still under the jinx, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, he he fake cries. He gets up. He looks like he's about to talk. He 
squirts a couple tears, gives some meaningful hand gestures, sits back down. Michael says, oh, that looked like it was going to be good. Um, <laughs> and Pam is very impressed. Yeah, yeah, she, she definitely has a very impressed look. Um, so, right. And you also find out that Stanley in that meeting only drinks a, one glass of red wine a week. Which he, so he obviously ups his drinking by the time Florida Stanley rolls around. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> and he also has a really weird interchange between Dwight and Angela earlier about, he's like, so Angela, are you taking anything? And she's like, I'm not taking anything. And he's like, nothing. And she kind of gives him this like look like, come right. on. <laughs> well, and then like uh, Dwight gives like those eyebrows. He's like, oh man, like. We could be having babies right now. <laughs> uh, so what? Uh, I didn't write it down. I don't know if you did either. But like a list of things that Michael has on his drug board. It was like crack, crack and cocaine, blow, pot, hookah, hookah. acid. Acid, yeah. Alcohol. Alcohol. I think just alcohol in general was on there. Yeah, because Michael's a little bit, he's like, do you think doing drugs is cool? And like he, he does like this squinchy nose thing. Do you think doing like, alcohol is cool? Yeah, it's so good. Um, yeah, hookah is not a drug, guys. I hookah all the time. I'm super cool, and I'm not a drug user. Um, yeah, so that whole scene happens. It's great for Jim, bad for Michael. It keeps going. Um, then what else do we got from there? Um, so Jim continues. Yeah. We do have a random random person in the office sighting in this episode. So like they're in the break room. I think it's I think it's the interchange with Dwight and the drug testing lady. Mm. He's like, do you remember my pee? He's like, I test a lot of pee. Mine was green. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> uh, and you see some older woman in the background, like really frizzy hair. Right. So it's like, who's the old person? Yeah. So, and so that's what we see too. Just sprinkled throughout all of season two, we still see these random office workers who just never transfer over, never get an explanation. Right. Um. Yeah, and it's it's weird. There's not a lot to say about it other than like, who the hell is that? <laughs> yeah. Um, let me see. So the the Jim and Pam thing continues on to this awkward lunch kind of thing, right? Where Pam is still kind of goading Jim, and then Jim gives Pam this face. Mm-hmm. Uh, five five ellipses, if you will. His dot 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 of an expression where he's like, Oh, Pam, if I could talk, <laughs> you would know all these things. And it kind of gives Pam this weird feeling where she ends up buying a Coke from another office building to give to Jim to buy from her, to give to her. Right. Right. So that happens. Meanwhile, Michael is trying to get Dwight to give him his urine. I don't even know how that works. I'm actually surprised that there wasn't a person in the bathroom with the people from the office watching them. There's pee. no way. Well, there's no way they would have let him in there with a cop. 
Period. There's no way. Yeah. I mean, do you ever watch Workaholics? No. One of the first season episodes is like a, a drug test, and the whole joke of that show is that these four post college, uh, three po- post college guys are like super into drugs and stuff. So they they have the drug tester like standing behind them at the urinal, making sure that they're not doing anything funny or whatever. And I'm surprised that you know the only woman from the urinalysis lab is this woman, who's definitely not going into the men's room to watch Michael urinate. Right. So, like, what does he do? Does he put the cup of coffee in the bathroom early on? Does he try to put it in his pocket? Does he create a system? You know? Um, but he figures it out. Yep. Um, and he got the results back insanely fast. Like, I passed my test. I'm like, there's no way that would have worked. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think they might have a, it's a pregnancy test-ish thing. Like, you put the urine on a thing and it'll give you a... Uh, a color-coded response, I think. It's not like an ideal thing, but it's one of those things where if the levels are high enough, it'll show up, and that's cause for worry. Mm-hmm. I also think those are probably the tests where like poppy seed bagels might throw it off or something, you know? Right. Like super terrible tests, yeah, so that might be what's happening too. <laughs> uh, Dwight eventually turns in his outfit, though, because of this. Right, which, you know, it's, it's an integrity move by Dwight, um, he he upsets Angela because he's doing stuff for Michael he shouldn't be doing, mm-hmm. and he understands that. And, you know he he turns in he resigns for being a deputy sheriff, and you know that's that's a, that's a integrity move by him to to not. Yeah. Uh, fun fact: in a deleted scene, though, we see Dwight go to the sheriff's department to turn the suit in. Mm-hmm. And we find out that um, he was not authorized to have the suit anyways. <laughs> he wasn't even supposed to be wearing it. Um, and then the sheriff goes on to list like other things that Dwight has access to that he shouldn't have, like the actual badge and all that jazz. <laughs> so it seems like Dwight just walked out with it one day. <laughs> that would be a very Dwight thing. Um, and then... Well, so I think, too, with Dwight's sacrifice for this, um, Michael gives him, like, this fake promotion. Right. Honorary security advisor. Um, So he's forced to be sworn in by Hank, the building security guard. Um, But it seems like he's, like, Hank's boss, right? That's kind of the vibe that the episode gives off. So he, like, immediately does, like, cone inventory. (laughs) Weapon inventory. Right. Um, he's like, when do I get my gun? I don't even have a gun. I just yeah. need to bring my bow staff. I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. Uh, inch, funky little thing I noticed is Hank's name tag says Tate. So maybe his name gets changed or maybe he was only supposed to be in one episode. And mm-hmm. then they made him sort of a recurring character and changed his name. Well, it says here... Uh, reoccurring cast. The actor's name is Hugh Dane. It says as Hank Tate. Oh, okay. So his last name, I guess, is Tate. But yeah, same concept. I wonder if uh, they're just like, let's just combine the two names. It's fine. No one, <laughs> no one's definitely going to do a podcast about this show okay. ever. <laughs> and this is the episode. This is the first time I remember watching this episode when it came out way back in the day and just feeling so bad for Dwight. Like, just like, oh, Dwight, don't, oh, don't, dude, no. 
You know, you, yeah, just, you just yeah. feel so bad for him, and you really start to hate Michael. Because up uh, until this point, I hated Dwight. I just hated mm-hmm. him as a character. But this right. is this is like when the tide started to turn for me, you know, in the first watch. Well, because as weird as Dwight is, he does have a moral code in a way that Michael does not. Right. Michael does whatever benefits him. Yeah, so that's a good point. That that handoff of the cup of pee is, like, great. It starts with Dwight walking from the bathroom, break room area, slowly across the office. Everybody's watching. He goes up to the door. Michael only cracks the door just a little bit, gets the cup, and closes the door before Dwight looks like he wants to say something, you know? Right. Um, and he's left to slowly walk to it. And it's just so good and awkward and shameful. And, yeah, it definitely paints Michael as the bad guy and Dwight as this unfortunate victim Stockholm syndromeness. It was the very end. You know, I think it closed out the episode. There's a talking head with Jamie's like, why does Dwight do these things? Yeah. You know, what is he getting out of that relationship? Now, do you think, I think there's a parallel with that too, in that Jim has spent the whole day quiet to play this game with this woman who has a fiance. Oh, that's true. I hadn't yeah. thought about that. Yeah, he kind of has that. Yeah, and it's like he's saying it, and he's like the cool guy, but I think as a viewer, we're supposed to be like, you're an idiot, Jim. (laughs) You, too, get nothing out of this relationship. That's true. That's true. Um, So I just found this on the Office Wiki. There's another deleted scene, which I'm just remembering as I read this, of Leo and Gino, which are some Vance Refrigeration Warehouse guys. Um, They're like the two that are always buddied up throughout the show every time there's two warehouse guys there. Um, and they're the ones who discard a joint in the parking lot. Uh, so it wasn't Creed, but maybe they bought it from Creed. <laughs> Did you ever see, there was like an Emmy intro or short or something. Did you ever see this? And the office was heavily featured in it? Uh, yeah, I've seen some of it with, they had like the dude from one of the dudes from Breaking Bad. In it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh. Oh man, I forget his name. It's been so long. But whatever, he shows up and he's looking for Creed, and he like basically gives him a bag of meth right in front of everybody, and he's like, "Dude, what's like, what's up with the cameras?" And Creed like is like totally aloof. He's like, "Whatever, it's cool." Yeah, so that's pretty great. And I like to think of it as canon that this meth dealer from New Mexico came all the way to Scranton, Pennsylvania, to sell meth. Hey man, got to expand the territory. Got to do it if you're going to become the king. <laughs> So what are you going to rate this episode? Um, I liked it a lot. I think it's a fun episode. And despite Michael's douchebaggery, there's enough fun times for me to like it. So I gave it four out of five doobies. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to give this... This episode's okay for me. Um, It's never been that high on my list ever through all the the watching. So I'm going to give it... 2.997 2.997 because it's really close to a three, but not quite. Okay. Um, cans of Coke. All right. All right. I like it. I'll take it. Yeah. So uh, next week we will be doing Conflict Resolution, Casino Night, and then Gay Witch Hunt and the Convention. Another solid set of episodes. Uh, we'll be able to delve into 
all sorts of good stuff. Maybe we'll have a small recap of season two, like maybe rank the episodes or something. I don't know. Like a top yeah, five I, from this season. I got to say, Casino Night and Gay Witch Hunt are in my top ten. So doing them back-to-back is going to be great. I'm very excited for it. <laughs> All right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for coming out to uh, the Gray Scott Podcast. Uh, you can find us at BrokenJars.xyz, BrokenJarsBroadcasting at gmail.com. We're on Twitter, Instagram. Uh, I don't know. Maybe someone. Maybe we're on Snapchat somehow. I don't know. I'm not running that <laughs> part. I don't understand Snapchat. So... <laughs> Uh, make sure you visit the um, Thunder Mifflin subreddit for a bunch of other awesome office fans, and we post there, and we chit-chat with some folks. And mm-hmm. if you're from there, what's up? Shout out to you. Yep, yep. Um, yeah, that's right. it. Have a good one, guys. Bye.